This morning, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of John. Last week, Brian preached from John 6, uh, continuing on our study in the book of John, did a fantastic job. Um, I was listening to it and very thankful for him to be able to, to share with you from the word. Uh, because the previous week, we had talked about how there's this God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. We try to fill with all these other things, but only God can fill it. Um, we have a powerful statement following right after that by Jesus, which is what Brian preached on. And he makes this powerful claim that he is the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And Brian uh, shared more on, on how that statement worked out. And there's, there's, it's really a very deep, we could probably take two, three Sundays on that message alone. But I felt it was summed up well. And, and here's the thing. Jesus is the bread of life. If you accept him, if you believe in him, if you take him in, you are filled. Just like if I go home and, and I go to eat lunch today and I have a sandwich, I take that bread and that food and I put it in my mouth, my stomach's full. I'm good for probably, what, a couple more hours, right? But then I'm going to be hungry again. Jesus says, you feast on me, you take me in, you'll never be hungry again. I satisfy the soul. It's a very powerful statement that Jesus makes. But here's the thing, though. If you reject the bread of life, you will be empty. You will be empty. Turn to John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 60. I'm going to read there. It says, many of the disciples, and you think about this, there's still a large group of people still standing around. He just had this discussion about the bread of life. Some of them start talking and some say, this is hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining and he said to them, does this offend you? Now, can you just, let's put ourselves in that moment. We're in this big crowd of people and around his, his 12 disciples and other disciples, people were following him. And there's Jesus. That might be off a little distance. Like, I can't believe what he just said. I don't know. If you, you know, there's a little talk going on. And Jesus turns around and goes, did what I say just offend you? He's like, how did he hear that? And he just called me out. Red face, probably. I would be embarrassed. Like, uh, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm good with it. And he's like, no, I just heard you. You're not. You were complaining. He calls them out. Look what goes on verse 62. Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Look at verse 63. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. For those of us that think we can work our way to heaven, do a lot of kind things, good things. Um, I, my parents were Christians, so I'm a, I can be a Christian. I get in. That doesn't work. Jesus says right here, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort doesn't work. He goes on to say, in the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, verse 40, 65, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Jesus knows who's fake. Jesus knows who's real. He can look at us and say, believer, not believer. Well, wants to think they're a believer, acts like a believer, not a believer. Person doesn't really claim to be a believer. They believe. He knows. He knows what we say before we say it. He knows what's in our heart. He gets it and he calls them out. Look at verse 66. At this point, 
As I said before, this is a sad verse. At this point, many disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So all these people are like the bread of life, not believing it, not accepting it. They're rejecting the bread of life. So they turn and they start walking away. And Jesus turns around and looks at his twelve and says, What about you guys? Are you in or not? Are you committed or not? Do you believe or not? Are you accepting this bread of life or are you rejecting the bread of life? And Simon Peter says, to where would we go? Of course we believe. You're the Holy One of God. So what about those who did partake of the bread of life? Those who are filled. You know, Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? See, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. You have all these people that reject and they go. Then the few that accept. Well, what about them then? What's next for them? Oh, it's easy for the ones that reject. They're gone. They're out of the picture, right? But what about for those of us? If you're in here today and you were in that crowd and Jesus said, you going or you staying? Do you believe that or not? Do you believe that I'm the bread of life? Do you believe that I'm the only one you need that I sustain life? Do you believe that? And a lot of us will say, yeah, I believe it. And then he goes, good. Because I've got something else you need to know. I don't believe that Jesus Christ is just sitting there saying, well, I just want to do a check where we're at. There's more to it than just believing. They, they believed. So you're going to walk with him or you're going to walk away? Church, you've got to ask yourself, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that only he sustains us? He's all we need. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? If so, then how are you showing it? You can't say you believe something and not show it. Your beliefs are going to be revealed by your actions. If you're in here this morning and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, the Holy One, then I'll say, show me your fruit. Show me by your actions. Show me by what's going on in your life that you believe. Because that's sort of what Jesus is doing here. How should we be living? Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So if you're in John, just go back one book towards your left. Book of Luke chapter 14. Jesus has this large crowd around him. They've been following him around. And everybody wants to follow Jesus, right? He does great things. Man, he's a good entertainer. Look at the miracles he does, right? He feeds us. Tells cool stories. So why not follow him? And he sort of stops us. Wait a minute. And he sort of lays it down. And I want, I, and I, this, this message is on my heart because I sometimes feel like I do not want to play church. I, I don't want to be just a Christian that just content with coming Sunday and just playing the church game. This is not a game. And, and, I, and I look at what Jesus does, and he sort of does that with the crowd. And he says, look at verse 25, large crowds following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must. Let me hear you say, you must. One more time, you must. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, you must. And look what he says next. By comparison, 
Hate everyone else, your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Whoa, whoa, you say i got to hate my family? Jesus has told us to what? To love one another. So we know he's not telling us to go out and hate people. He's saying in comparison to him and everything else, we should love him so much it looks like we almost hate everything else. That's how much love we should have towards him. He goes on to say in verse 27, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Are you ready to set aside selfishness and comfort? Are you ready to face pain and persecution? This is not going to be easy. Are you ready to pick up the cross and follow me? It's not going to be easy. Hey, Suan family, are you ready to follow me? You're going to have to give up the comforts of the United States. Air conditioning and, and maybe water that you can drink out of the tap and not get sick. Or, or the comfort of a certain kind of bed or whatever it may be. Oh, the hours are going to be different. You're going to have these little children that are coming from broken, I mean broken, broken homes. Kids from a witch doctor are going to come to your school and you get to tell them about Jesus. Are you ready to give up all the comforts to go over there and do that? You've got tarantulas. Can I just say, I do not like tarantulas. Anything bigger than my hand with eight legs and a lot of hair, God should not have made, okay? God's telling me, I made it, deal with it, Rex. But I don't like dealing with, yeah, anyway. Okay. I still can't watch arachnophobia without getting the little heebie-jeebies. Anyway, here we go. Where are we at? I lost myself. Verse 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. Jesus says, listen, you're going to follow me. You're going to get uncomfortable. You better count the cost. Look what he says. Who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete the only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Can you imagine that? Hey, I'm going to build this barn out in my backyard. And then I, I bring in the guys to start building, and they're like, oh, I ran out of money. And everybody looks around my backyard, and they see a concrete slab. Hey, nice barn, Rex. And I ran out of money. You did not calculate very well, did you? No, I didn't. And I'd be the laughing stock, right? That's what Jesus said. Did you not count the cost? You said you wanted to follow me. Do you understand? You better count the cost before you choose to follow me. He goes on to say this. They would say that that person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it, verse 31, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the army of 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, He'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot be my disciple without giving me everything you own. You ready to give up everything you own to Jesus? Someone's like, well, maybe not everything. Jesus said, you better count the cost. You better count the cost. Listen, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He's not asking perfection. He's asking for commitment. We should count the cost to understand that with every decision that we make, there's always a consequence. Every decision, right? So if you decide to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, we need to understand that there is a cost. We speak of the benefits all the time. The cost benefits, right? We love talking about the benefits. Oh, heaven. Eternal, eternal life in the presence of God. Oh, I love the benefits. Do you ever count the cost? But I thought it was free. It is free. Salvation is free to those who believe. But once you believe in obedience, out of love, there's action. There's, there's a following, right? There's a commitment. There's a commitment. Listen, he is God. 
There are no others. We devote ourselves, our worship, our time, our love towards Him. What God cares about, we care about. It's a commitment to a new way of living. It's surrender. It's, it's commitment mode. And so that, what does that commitment mean? So this morning, I just want to challenge you. Listen, if you're going to call Jesus the bread of life and you say he is my sustainer, he is my Lord, he is my hope, then here's the thing. Then we've got to be committed to him. And how do we show that commitment? Listen, I do not want to be a church that plays church. I want to be a church that people say there's something different about you. and say Because we're trying to be obedient to the Lord. We want to be a church that is, that is growing spiritually. If that parking lot empties out because nobody wants to, to, to put in that cost, nobody wants to be a committed believer of Jesus Christ, so be it. I want a church full of committed believers. I want a church full of people that are fired up to live for the Lord. And I hope you do too. So here's some thoughts and that God's placed upon my heart. It means If I'm going to be committed, here's what it means. First of all, there's a commitment to growth. A commitment to growth. As our kids were growing up, we would, in our pan, food pantry, we would have them get up against the wall, get the yardstick, and take that little pencil mark. You know what I'm talking about? They'd step away, then we'd write, you know, what the date is, who it was. And then maybe months later, we'd come back again and do it and do it, and, you know. And, and we had to keep an eye on the boys, because sometimes they'd get up there and they'd go up on their tippy toes, or they'd try to stretch their neck up, like, mm you know. Why? Because they wanted to grow. They expected growth. Every time they walked in that pantry, they expected to see some kind of change. Do we have that same kind of expectancy with the Lord? Or are you content with just being the same old Christian you are every week, every day? We should expect growth. We should expect a commitment to God's word. That's another commitment to God's word. If you're not reading the Bible, then you don't know how to follow God. If you're not opening up God's word, you're not letting him breathe into you. If you're not opening up God's word, you cannot follow him because you do not know his commands. And his commands can sometimes seem strenuous, but they are free. They are so freeing. We know the Bible tells us about sinful behavior, right? Murder, sexual sin outside of marriage. But what about foul language? What about selfishness? Why not treat those sins as bad as the other sins like murder? Oh, they're not as bad of a sin. They're sin. God gives his command to not do certain things. God's word shows us how to live. God's word shows us how to rejoice. God's word gives us hope. God's word gives us peace. God's word gives us an understanding of his character. And if we're not opening up God's word, how will we know? So there should be a commitment to God's word. How about a commitment to serving? 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. When, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God's Holy Spirit comes into your life, he gives you a gift as well. And he says, use it for my glory. Serve me with it. What is your gift? Singing, teaching, hospitality. Maybe it's to be like, oh, I can work on cars. Then serve God by, by blessing somebody with what you can do for somebody else in a time of need with their car. I don't know. There's multiple ways in which you can use the gift that God's given you. And here's the thing. If you are serving, you're being obedient. Because the Bible tells us to use our gifts to serve others. And if we're not using our gifts to serve others, guess what? We're being disobedient. Oh, nobody wants to call us out on that sin, right? But it's in the Bible. Am I committed to growth? Am I committed to God's word? Am I committed to serving? Here's another one. How about a commitment to humbleness? 
Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter towards the back of the Bible. You're in Luke, go John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, a bunch of small books by Paul. You get towards the back right before Revelation. There's a book called James. Brother Jesus wrote this. Oh, uh, James is going to get heavy with us. I was half tempted not to read this, but if I don't read it, then, uh, then I'm jipping you on what God wants to say. James chapter 4, starting in verse 4, it says this, You adulterers, ouch! <laughs> Which I hate it when we get called out, you cheaters. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Anybody in here want to be an enemy of God? <laughs> no way. Verse 5. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and he'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify yourselves, your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. James is saying here, hey, you cheaters, you say you love God, but you also love the world. That can't be. You're loving one or the other. Which one is it? You can't be a two-timer. Pick one. Love it. I'm challenging you, love God. Fall in love with the God of this universe. Humble yourself before him. Look what he did for you. He loves you so much, he died for you. So humble yourself. Get on your knees. Go to the altar. Go to your knees in your bedroom or wherever it may be. And just cry out, God, I am so sorry. I've seen it in my office. I've had people come before and maybe talk or counsel me. And, and there's tears, genuine tears. They get it. They knew they messed up. And they just let it out. I saw it the other night at camp. Our first night at chapel. 150, 160 of us in this big chapel at camp. And as students came down to pray, they were surrendering themselves. It was the most humbling thing I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm up at the top. I was working up at the sound and, and just sort of watching what's going on. And I was just amazed. I was like, Wow. Is this for real, God? Is this for real? These kids are coming forward. And then at the end, you know, our speaker looked up at me. He's like, why don't you come on? You know, so I came down to pray. And I had to step over kids and around kids. And, and I hate to say it, I even kicked a kid in the head because I couldn't lift my leg far enough. I was like, put my hand on that kid's head and bless them, okay? And, and I get up there and, 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 and I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm hearing this crying going on. And it wasn't like, oh, they just came forward because they want. It was genuine brokenness and humbleness of these kids tears and I could hear the crying from all over and it wasn't from the kid that I kicked in the head. It was, it was from all over and, and I'm just sitting there going, God is doing something amazing here. And he was. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Admit that we are in need and that this world has nothing to satisfy us. He is the bread of life, the sustainer of life. We have to admit it. That's a part of commitment to humbleness. How about a commitment to sharing salvation? Are we passionate about saving people from hell? I can get so caught up sometimes watching news and having discussions with people. I can get caught up in a lot of trivial stuff. 
And all that trivial stuff, I forget what really matters. Francis Chan, I put the quote up on the screen, says this. We have a tendency to argue and divide over trivial matters when we forget that hell exists. I'm telling you something. If you and I could get a quick glimpse of hell, it would change our conversations for the rest of the day and the rest of our life. Because we would never want anybody to go there. And for anybody in this room who's ever said, hey, you can just go to you know where. Don't ever say that again, please. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we should not be ever saying that. We should never be content with anybody saying that around us. Because we, as a believer in Christ, we never want anybody to go to hell. We want people to go to heaven. Our passion should be for people to be rescued from that place and to be put in the presence of God. Does it matter if people go to heaven or hell? Absolutely for the Christian. Absolutely. How about this? How about a commitment to persecution and trouble? So far, some of these have been okay, right? Oh, yeah, I can be committed to God's word. I can be committed to humbling myself. It's a little hard. I definitely want to grow. You notice this is getting a little bit tougher as it goes down the line. Oh, persecution and trouble? We can't fully understand this in the United States, can we? Third world countries, Christianity faces death and jail time all the time, not us. When's the last time you saw a Christian put in jail just because they're a Christian? When's the last time you saw a police force, somebody bust into our church and arrest us all just because we were meeting? There used to be underground churches in China because they couldn't meet because if they met and got caught, they'd be put in prison. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 37 says this, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, And if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, follow me. If you hang on in this life, you're just going to lose it. Jesus said, you gotta, you got to deny yourself again. We've, we've heard this verse before. Matthew 24, 9 to 13 says this. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of, money, of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus said, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be killed. You want to follow this life? You want the bread of life? You want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? Be ready for persecution. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41 says this. Then they called in the apostles and had them flogged. To be flogged is to take a whip, which many strands has uh, broken pottery, glass, rock, sharp things in it. And they take that, that whip and they take it across your back and then they yank it and it basically flays the skin, okay? And that's what they did to Jesus, remember? Multiple times. Well, they had the disciples, these apostles, I mean, that were, that were out telling people about Jesus and they're like, stop doing that. So what they did, they flogged them. So they're bleeding all over the place, and they say, stop talking about Jesus. Look what it says they did. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. Let me hear you say rejoicing. One more time, rejoicing. Are you kidding me? You just got filleted by uh, Roman soldiers' whips, and you're told to stop talking about the gospel, and they walk out of there like what? Woohoo! Yeah, baby. I just got filleted for Jesus. Right? I'm bleeding for my Savior. That sounds ridiculous, right? But it said they counted themselves worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They knew what Jesus did on the cross. So for them to have something just less than what happened to Jesus, they're like, I'll do it for Jesus. Because I know what he did for me. And they rejoice. If that's a Christian today, what are we doing? Hopping on social media. Somebody just called me a Jesus freak. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I can handle it. 
Oh, thank you for the counsel. Oh, thank you for consoling. Oh, thank you for the prayers. Oh, really? We do. We have no idea what it means to be persecuted. And these disciples were like, I just got my flesh ripped open for my Savior. And what did they do? They rejoiced because they found themselves to be worthy of what Jesus did. Are we committed to celebrating Jesus? Are we committed to celebrating Jesus? How does the emotion of Jesus' birth compare to when we have a child that's born? I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate our kids being born. I'm not saying stop having birthday parties. I'm just saying we make it a big production sometime when our kids have birthday parties, and that's fine. How do you feel about the birth of Jesus Christ? That's why I love Christmas so much. Because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and we need to rejoice. And we don't have to wait till Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We don't have to wait to celebrate what God's doing. You don't have to wait till Sunday to show up here and say, I want to celebrate what God's doing. You don't have to wait till Sunday. Celebrate right where you're at, right then and there. Has anybody ever done something so incredible for you that every time you see them, you just so feel indebted to them? Like, I owe them. I owe them. What Jesus did for us, we should feel indebted to him. And we should let that be shown in how we live for him. Rejoice in the new life that he has given us. How about commitment to living a spirit-filled life? A commitment to living a spirit-filled life. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. From James, head back to the left in your Bible. In between Luke and James, you'll find the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the thing. As a follower in Jesus Christ, our bodies contain a whole new DNA system. God's Holy Spirit is in us. It contains the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's beyond my understanding. It's beyond my imagination. But God's Spirit is within us as believers in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Look at verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then he goes on to say all these things that we should not have in our life and, and how we should live. Go down to verse 18. It says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks to everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, let me ask you this. I've got to ask myself this and you can ask yourself this. Am I spirit-filled? It's obvious when people are, are filled with alcohol, when they're drunk with alcohol, you can smell it on them, you can see it, their words are slurred, and, and, and they're just, they act goofy and silly, they make bad choices, right? God's word says, don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Be drunk with His Holy Spirit. Our words should not be slurred, but sharp with rejoicing of who God is. Our actions, people should look at you like, you look like you're under the control. Someone's like, the Holy Spirit's at me. And the people should see that. Can people recognize a spirit-filled person? Galatians 5, 22, 23, you recognize that maybe the fruits of the Spirit, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, right? 
When you are filled with God's Spirit, your kindness is different than somebody else who is just kind, who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We can all be kind, but a believer in Christ, there's something about the kindness of a believer in Christ that's different. People know it. They're like, there's something different about you. What is it? Spirit-filled. They can, they can sense there's a difference. I've got a cousin who lives down in South Carolina. Every June, he sends a group text message to everybody in our family. Like, hey, I'm coming up to Indiana. Anybody want any uh, South Carolina peaches? Oh, boom, yeah. Give me a couple, couple bags, a couple boxes, a couple truckloads, whatever. Bring them. And he will argue with you. South Carolina peaches are better than Georgia peaches, okay? He says, I know Georgia's the peach state. I don't know where they came up with that. South Carolina's got the best peaches. And he will, he will die over that statement, right? So... He brings these peaches up, and we fill them up in a, in a cooler, and, and I, I open up my car. My car smells like peaches. And then I put them in the fridge, and my fridge smells like peaches. And I take a bite out of one, and I've got the, the peach juice, like, dripping down my face. I need, like, five napkins. They're so juicy. And it's like, this is so good. And then I grab an Ohio peach. Crunch. Can't smell it. Can't taste it, right? There's a difference between peaches. There's a difference in that fruit. One is so good. And the other ones, it's just fruit. There's a difference in a spirit-filled person. When you are filled with God's spirit, your kindness is different than other people's kindness. You remember the movie Madagascar? You may remember that movie. I, was, I have to admit, I went back and sort of watched it some the other night. It's a classic. Right? Animals in a zoo, controlled atmosphere, made to look like a jungle. Like their natural habitat, but it isn't. And there's a line in that movie where the animals are like, if you remember the zebra, he's like, he just, he wants to experience the wild. And, and the lion's like, what do you, no way, man, this is, I've, we've got it all right here. See, they've been domesticated. It all feels good. It looks good. But some of the animals, they want to taste what it means to be wild. Because they were created to be in the wild. And I believe that's the way we are as Christians. We are to be like powerful animals for God in a sense. Ephesians 1, 18 to 20 talks about where, where it says, I pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand. The Holy Spirit of God, the one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is in the believer today. Let me ask you, do you think the Holy Spirit is wild or tame? You know, we go to the zoo and we tell kids, step back from the fence, keep away from the bars, tell them to be careful and all that. And I feel sometimes we do the same thing at the church. Oh, we got to be tame, we got to be calm. Don't let the Spirit get a hold of you. People think you're all crazy, right? Now listen, I'm not church preaching saying we've got to become a Pentecostal church. I'm just saying we've got to be a Spirit-filled church. And if the Spirit tells you to do something, do it. When children ask Jesus to come into their life and they pray, let me ask you something. Does a bite-sized little mini Holy Spirit come to them or does the Holy Spirit come into them? The Holy Spirit does. Our children, and we're so worried about them going to school and going to their ball teams and, and going off the place. We're so worried. Are they going to be okay? They've got God's Holy Spirit in them. They're the most ferocious thing out there fighting for God right now. And God's Spirit is in them. But yet we try to tame them and calm them. I think it's amazing that Suan's got their four kids with them over in the Dominican Republic. I'd be so afraid of everything that could happen to them. Because like, I got them. Because my Spirit's in them. Children, when you enter your schools, you are not alone. You have the spirit of the living God within you. You are more than victorious. You're not alone. Be, be bold. Stand up for Jesus. I saw a lot of that happening this last week, and it's so, 
fired me up to see these young people get excited for the Lord. They were so spirit-filled. Peter said this, You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The last night of our chapel, we had four nights of chapel. On the last night, we had all these kids come forward. And as they were coming forward, there was, there was kids that were, were at the, just on their knees on the floor crying. And there's other kids that were standing, their arms around each other crying. And I had one kid, he just graduated from high school. He's one of our counselors. He came up to me and goes, I'm happy and I don't know why I'm crying. I call it inexpressible joy. He's spirit-filled. You could, it was like a revival had taken place in there. There was all kinds of weeping, but it wasn't like I'm sad weeping. It was I am happy weeping. I've never seen it before in my life. Uh, matter of fact, Macy, will you come up here, please? We had about 29 kids from our in our church go to, to this FCA camp. We had another um, half a dozen, dozen adults here that were there serving. Probably close to 40 people from our church up there serving. And it was an incredible time. Um, Paul, can you get her the mic, please? Um, at camp, what we saw was just unbelievable. This was the first night up on the screen. When the speaker gave the opportunity for them to come forward and surrender their lives, there was not an open seat up in the state. Basically, all the kids came forward. And that was the night when I'm tripping over everybody to try to get up there to try to talk to and pray. That was night number one. Night number two, same thing. Night number three, before we even started chapel, a, t- a huddle leader got up and shared their struggle a sin struggle that we would be embarrassed to talk about in church. And she just said, this is what's going on. She broke down in tears and kids, surround, kids surrounded her in prayer. And then the fourth night was even more unbelievable. Macy, why don't you just give us a quick snippet of your camp experience. Okay, so FCA camp for me has definitely been a lot deeper than any other camp I've been to. It's truly something special. So for the fourth night, um, we went through the entire sermon, and it was all about going beyond, like going beyond for Christ and not letting fear get to where God wants you to be. And um, the last two songs that came on, I mean, it came on and I hit rock. Like, I started crying. I couldn't function. It was so, so powerful. I've never felt that much love and um, just support. I've never felt God really, truly wrap me up in his grace and love before, like that night. And I mean, um, as the songs kept going, there's just more people huddled around each other. Kids would all go to the front. And like, we're kids. And you don't, you wouldn't think that you could have so much faith as kids. But God truly did something so special that night. Everyone, um, in the stands at least, were wrapping their arms around each other and like swaying in music and just uncontrollably crying, like Rex said. And it was just beautiful because people you didn't even know, you'd come up and you'd pray for them or you'd pray with them about something that you didn't even know their struggles. And it was so incredible to see what God was doing in all of our lives that night. Thank you, Macy. Have a seat. If you were, um, if you're at camp, could you stand up? I'm not going to have you say anything. If you could just stand up if you went to camp this past week. So just ask them after church is over what it was like, and maybe they can give you a little talk, okay? We had some others at the first service. Thanks. You can have a seat. It was incredible. So church, here's the thing. So I've always enjoyed puppet ministry, and I, I... 
yeah, this guy's awesome. So this would be my, my Moses. And um, let's have a seat. There you go. Good? Okay, good. So his hair can get pretty crazy, but he knows how to slick it back and look good. Um, he, can, he can wave to people. He can uh, scratch his feet. Oops, why don't you get your foot up there? There you go. Good. You can go, I'm the man, if you want to. You know, you do one of those, okay? You can have all kinds of fun, okay? But I'm not a ventriloquist, so I'm not very good with talking. But anyway, you know, he can do all kinds of fun stuff. But how is that happening? It's really simple. My hand is operating Moses right now. And we have a lot of fun with Moses if we want, right? But as soon as I take my hand out of Moses, there's nothing there, right? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I need to understand this. When the Holy Spirit enters me, it's like the Holy Spirit, it's like my hand entering this puppet to bring it to life. When I put my hand in this puppet, I can start having fun with it. But here's the thing, this puppet does what? It entertains. God's Holy Spirit comes into us and just doesn't entertain, it transforms. Transforms us so we can serve him, so we can love him. Listen, church, I know I'm going long this morning, and and I I somewhat apologize for that, but not fully, because um, God's laid upon my heart and I knew I was going to go longer today, but God's laid upon my heart. I do not want a church that has every seat filled just because we did a good job entertaining people. I want this church to be filled with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to see this church filled with people who are committed to growing. I want to see a church with people that say, I believe in the bread of life. He sustains me, and I want nothing more than that. He is my hope. He is my salvation. That's the kind of church I want, and I believe that's the kind of church you want too. If we fill every seat, Awesome. But I pray it's because it's people who are coming here because they're hungry to hear God's word and they want to worship God and God alone. Not me, not Brian, not the, not the worship team, not Paul, not the coffee, nothing else. They have come, you have come to worship the God of this universe. I pray that because that is my prayer for this church. I want to see a church that is committed to, to growing, to, to getting into God's word, to serving, to, to humbling ourselves. If we have to come and weep, let's come weep. If, you don't, if you're like, I'll weep at home, I'll weep. Let, let, get real with God somewhere, please. Share salvation. Get ready to face persecution trouble. Get ready to face trials. Celebrate Jesus. If you can't celebrate Jesus here, where will you celebrate him? This is the safest place. This is the safest place right here to worship and celebrate Jesus. To give people hugs, to let them know, to go up and tell them, I love you. I encourage you today, walk with Jesus. Not away from him as some of those disciples did, but walk with him, call on the bread of your life. Worship team, would you come up, please? As the worship team's coming up, again, church, because I love you, and I'm not saying this like, you know, like, you, know, you guys get up on stage like, hey, I love you, love you too, yeah. Okay, no, because I love you, I want the best for you. Just as I would want the best for myself. And that is a relationship with the God of this universe. But I want that for you too. Because I know some of you in this room are hurting. Feeling hopeless or helpless. Struggling with certain addictions or things in your life that you're like, I don't know if I can handle this. I'm telling you right now, I know who can. And he's my Lord and he's your Lord too. Take it to him. Take it to him. And if you're like, I'm good, then rejoice with him. Rejoice with him. Let's be like Simon Peter 
as people decide, I can't do this, they're walking away, let's be like Simon Peter says, where else are we going to go? You are the Son of God. We're walking with you, Jesus. We're walking with you. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for this time we've had to dig into your word, to worship, to, to find out what truth is. God, I know I had so much material. We could have gone two weeks. But God, I just, so much I want to say because I care. Because I know what your word says. And I can see what happens when we surrender. I see what happens when we rejoice. I see what happens when people are like, that's it, man. I'm just giving myself up. You got me, God. I see the transformed lives. God, I don't want to be entertaining. I don't want to be animated. I want to be transformed. I want your spirit to do work in me, and I want your spirit to do work in this church. And God, I know there's some people here visiting for the first time, and I don't know what they what they're thinking right now. That's not my agenda. I've got an audience of one, and that's you. I pray that whoever's here, whether they're visiting, whether they've been here their whole life, I pray that today is a day where we surrender ourselves to you, where we say, I'm committed. I'm all in. I'm all in. Then God, I ask you to walk with us because we're going to choose to walk with you. I know you will never leave us nor forsake us. We're not alone. But God, we got to make that. We got to make that choice on our own. God, as we sing to you, do a work in our heart, Lord. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.